Let me ask you a question today. Why did you come to church today? You may be wondering after the preacher, you know, has wet pants, but uh, maybe that's the reason you came. You know, there's a reason for everything that we do. There's a reason for everything that we do. I told you before about a, a pastor's group that I was a part of in Tulsa, and it really meant a lot to me because we'd meet about every other week, and we just sort of reserved the morning on Tuesday mornings for us to come together and talk about things. And sometimes we would talk about uh, just personal things because it was a time where we could not just be pastors, we could actually be people. Believe it or not, pastors are people usually, you know. And, and uh, we could just sort of let our hair down, be ourselves, talk about life, and uh, not have to put on some type of uh, a facade. Not that being a pastor is a facade, but sometimes, you know, there's a standard by which pastors are held, and it's, it's difficult to live to that standard all the time. So uh, we come together and we talk about things, and we talk about different uh, victories the Lord's given us and uh, just celebrate with one another. And sometimes we talk about the challenges that we faced. Sometimes the challenges we talked about were, you know, personal challenges, um, things going on in our own lives, but a lot of times it was stuff at church, finances or buildings, or more often than not, if, it's a, if it was a church issue, it would, it would be a person. We talk about people. And uh, just like, you know, y'all go to church, y'all go to lunch after church and have roast pastors, sometimes we talk about y'all. And, uh, but really, uh, the, the thing was, we, we, didn't turn it into a gripe session, but sometimes we would we would bring an issue and we were trying to figure out why did this church member act that way in the committee meeting, or or why did they behave that way at church? You know, and, it, and it's just hard to hard to know. Someone would say something hurtful, either to us or someone else, or cause some type of disruption, or really be destructive and not beneficial to the church body, and and we we. We'd come to this meeting uh, sometimes confused, trying to figure things out. And our, the leader of our group was a man who had pastored the same church for 40 years. His name was Bob Green, very godly man from West Texas down in the Midland and Odessa area. And he, um, but he was pastored there for a long time, and we really looked up to him. He always said the same thing. All behavior is purposeful. Think about that. That means there's a reason, always, there's always a reason why people say what they say or do what they do. Always. And it helps if you can figure out the reason they're acting that way or they're saying the things that they do. Sometimes you can't figure it out. But a lot of times, people will act a certain way at, at work or at home or at school. It has nothing to do with work or home or school. You know it. You bring home work to your house and you chew out the dog for acting like a dog. You know, for no, no reason other than the boss chewed you out. And so it's, it's difficult sometimes, but it brings, it brings this question back to the forefront that I want to ask again. Why did you come to church today? And I would submit to you there's a reason that you came. Maybe it's out of habit. You know, just, hey, it's just what I do on Sundays. And that's fine. Maybe uh, you're thinking, well, I wish I hadn't come to church today. I, I don't want to be here. Okay, at least you're honest. Maybe you, you'd think, well, my wife brought me, or my parents brought me. Okay. Maybe you'd say, I love being with God's people. Or I like to study the Bible. Or I like to worship the Lord. 
And that's why I came to church today. There might be, though, a few of you who came very intentionally because you'd say this, I need God to do something in my life. Maybe you're looking for some encouragement. Maybe you're looking for God to move. Maybe, perchance, the pastor, when he gets up, not knowing your situation, might say something that would address where you are today. Well, today I am glad that you're here, regardless of the reason. And I want you to know that you're always welcome here. I also want you to know that the reason that I believe God superintended you to be here today is because of what I have to say to you. And it is about the direction of your life. I want you to consider the direction of your life. If you're like most people, you would admit that there's something missing in your life. Now, spirit-filled Christians are not most people. But most people would say, you know, there's something missing. There's something off. There's something, there's got to be something more to this life. Listen to this statement. Satisfaction with life is not determined by the circumstances that you're in. It is a condition of your heart that can exist in any circumstance. I'm going to say that again. Satisfaction with life is not determined by your circumstance. It is a condition of your heart that can exist in any circumstance. And if you're dissatisfied with your life right now, I want you to consider this possibility that your life is a result of you doing things your way. Now this sounds completely foolish because common sense would tell us, well, if I do what I want to do, then I'm going to get where I want to go. And if I do what I want to do and I'm going to get where I want to go, then I'm going to be happy. But that's not what happens in life. If you do what you want to do without any regard to what God wants you to do, then you may or may not get where you want to go, but I guarantee you that there will be something missing in your life. The direction and the satisfaction of your life will be determined by this. Your choice to either live life your way or God's way. And that's what I want to present to you today. And you might object to that. And you might say, well, wait a minute. You know, things have happened in my life that are completely out of my control. I didn't choose who my parents were going to be. I didn't choose to be hurt by somebody. I didn't choose what I would look like. I didn't choose what natural talents I would have or not have. I didn't make any of these choices, and I would agree with that. That the vast majority of the things that occur in your life are not by your choice. It is by, we'd call it circumstance. But here's what you've got to understand. None of those things are guaranteed to bring you satisfaction in life anyway. I know people that were raised in a very loving, caring home that are absolutely miserable in. And I know people that had the most horrible and difficult childhood who have discovered by living life God's way, they're content. They're happy. There are people 
likewise, who have been deeply hurt by others. And you would look at them and you'd say, if anyone has the right to be upset about their lot in life, it's them. And yet, they're okay. They've made it through that difficult time. And they're not bitter and they're not angry. They're not hurtful to others. They don't pass along the hurt that happened to them to other people. They've decided to end that cycle. And they've trusted in the Lord to do it. There are people that you know and that I know that have been born with disabilities or handicaps or whatever the politically correct term is that don't have the same capabilities that most people do. And yet, there's something about their life that allows them to live above the outside. Because on the outside we look at them and oh, what a pity. They're disabled. But in their heart they may be more abled than us. You see, it's not about the circumstance that happens to you. And I wish I wish that I could say that no pain, no difficulty would ever come upon you, but you know, that's not the way this life is. So it's not about these circumstances. It is about rising above the circumstances because there's a better way to live your life than just pursuing the things that you want to do. And God tells us what that way is. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 3. In your Bible, in James chapter 3, we'll look at verses 13 to 18. The book of James is near the back of your Bible. Just after the book of Hebrews, James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. We're in the series called James of Faith that works. And we're journeying through this incredible book we call James. And I would ask that you would stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word as I read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 aloud. And then we will go back and look at this deeper. Scripture says in these verses, beginning in verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant, so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would illumine your, your word to our minds that we might be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good news is today you've got a choice to make. I mean, your life may be full of complications, but this choice is really simple. It's a simple choice. You're going to live your life God's way or your way. That's pretty much it. In verses 14 through 16, describe what it's like when you choose to live your life your own way. So let's focus on these verses. When, when you make the decision, consciously or not, to live your life your way, then there's going to be two Inevitable poisons that creep into your life. And we find these two, ver these two poisons listed 
twice in two separate verses. Look at verse 14. It begins, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. Those are the two. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Verse 16, same thing. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, James is really focusing on these two things. These are two poisons that will absolutely destroy your life. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And these, if they exist in your life right now, and we're going to look at exactly what they are, these are signs that you are not living your life God's way. Because this is the fruit, this is the result of living your life your own way. So let's do just a little bit of exploratory surgery to see what we find in your life. First, we have this idea of bitter jealousy. What is that? What is bitter jealousy? Bitter jealousy means that you want what other people have, and when you don't get it, you get upset. That's bitter jealousy. The problem is not that other people have what you don't have, because that's everywhere. You have things that other people don't have. In this entire life, there's going to be someone who has more than what you have. Someone who has more money, or someone who has a bigger house, a bigger car, or someone who has an, a prettier spouse, or someone who has a nicer spouse, or someone who has something that you don't have. The question is not about what's on the outside of your life. It's not external, it's internal. It's in your heart. The reason that you get upset is within your heart. And it's because you want what you don't have. And it's as if you think, Man, if I just had this one other thing, if I just had more money, if I just had a nicer house, if I just had a better car, if I just had a better spouse, if I just had a better job, if I just had more of this or more of that, then my life would be great. I'm just missing one thing. My life stinks right now because I'm just missing one more thing. I can just have that one more thing then my life would be great. Then I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Why? It's never enough. It's never enough. I mean, you've heard John Rockefeller, richest man in the world, lived about 100 years ago. You know how much money he was worth? People make a big deal about Jeff Bezos today the wealthiest businessman in the world. Rockefeller was worth in today's dollars over $660 billion. You take the top nine wealthiest people on the face of the earth, business people on the face of the earth today, they don't add up to what Rockefeller was worth. And he was famously asked, how much is enough? How much will make you happy? And he answered, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You know, the Ten Commandments is really a masterful code of conduct. I mean, even if you don't believe it, it's an incredible literary device. The structure of it is genius. Of course, it should be. It's from God himself. Because commandments number one through four, as you probably know, deal with your relationship with God. Commandments 5 through 9 deal with your relationship to other people. But it's commandment number 10. That's the tough one. Commandment number 10 deals with your relationship to your own heart. Thou shalt not 
covet. Thou shalt not covet. It's the coveting that gets us into so much trouble. We covet what others have. In fact, our evil desire for what other people have can lead us to breaking every one of the other commandments. We covet what other people have. We're not satisfied with what the Lord gives us, and so we put other gods before Him. We create idols to worship. We curse God if we don't get our way and we take His name in vain. We trade our worship of God on a weekly basis for the pursuit of things that we deem to be more important than Him. We aren't satisfied with what our parents have given us, and so we dishonor them with our attitude and our speech and our actions. We want what someone else has so much that we hate Him for having it. We want to kill Him for having what we want. We want someone other than our spouse, so we commit lust and eventually adultery. We want what someone else possesses, so we steal it. We're asked about our misdeeds after all of this, and then we lie about it. We've just broken all the other commandments. Why? Because we have a heart that's not satisfied with what God has given us. You tell yourself, I'm just going to do my own thing. I mean, how bad can that be? But you don't know that your own thing is just a product of the wickedness of your own heart. Man does not know how wicked his own heart is. Doing your own thing means coveting what other people have. And that little bit of desire for just a little bit more can develop into full-blown bitter jealousy. And that bitter jealousy is so damaging that it can even lead to what Scripture calls malice. Do you know what malice is? Malice is a desire to cause pain to someone else. Well, if I can't have it, no one can. What a horrible attitude. What a terribly selfish attitude. That if you can't get your way, you're going to actively seek to destroy other people or their desire to live their own life. And here's something you may not have thought of before. If you ever do get what you covet, automatically you have diminished its worth. You have destroyed it with your greed. You've destroyed it with your wicked heart. Why is that? The things of this world can never satisfy your spiritual heart. Never. It just can't satisfy. Your heart is always so hungry for more and more and more. There's only one thing that can satisfy your heart, and it is the Creator who created it. Everything else will leave you wanting. You see, your heart may desire temporary things, but your heart needs eternal things. Your heart needs the Creator. Listen to the contrast of the tone of what we've talked about, just focusing on these two words, bitter jealousy, with what Asaph, a man in the Old Testament, said in Psalm 73. Listen to these words. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant and I, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And at the end of that psalm, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. 
My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Asaph looked at his life and he realized there was a time when he was bitter and jealous of what he did not have, of what wicked people had, and it was leading him down the wrong path. He turned away from that and he made the Lord his refuge. Bitter jealousy is a poison that can destroy your life. The second is very much like it, selfish ambition. James mentions in these verses. What is a person who is uh, given a selfish ambition? It's a person who's made up his mind with all finality. I'm going to do what I want. Period. What's in it for me is their life motto. This person is given over to selfishness. This is not a person you ever want to marry. Because in marriage, there has to be love, there has to be giving. A selfish person cannot be a loving person. Why? Because the nature of love is to give. But a selfish person just wants to take. The Bible describes what will happen to selfishly ambitious people in Romans chapter 2, verse 8. Wrath and indignation come to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth. These two poisons, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, will cause you, verse 14 says, to be arrogant and so lie against the truth. You lie to yourself. You lie against the truth that's within you. James is going back to this concept that he taught earlier that says, hey, it doesn't matter what you say you are. You say you're a Christian, that doesn't matter. Where's the proof? Where's the evidence that you are a believer? Because you can say you're anything in the world, even a Christian. But the person who's bitterly jealous, the person that is selfishly ambitious, they can pretend. They can fool everybody on Sunday morning. But God knows the truth. The Lord knows. They might even fool themselves, but they will not fool God. Verse 15, James talks about this wisdom, this quote-unquote wisdom that leads to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. He says, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly. It is natural. It is demonic. Listen, understand what he's saying. Just living your life your own way, it's an earthly way to live. The world says, have it your way. The world says, look out for yourself. Look out for number one. Get all you can while you can. Do your own thing. But all of that is just living life for the present. It's living life for this earth. There's no eternality about it. It's living for the temporary. Living life your way is not a spiritual way to live, but a natural way to live. It's of the flesh. It's not of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not welcome what comes from God's spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to know it since it is evaluated spiritually. Living life your way 
is even demonic, according to verse 15. You might say, listen, hey preacher, you've gone too far. I may choose to live my life my way. When I walk out of this building, I may never come to church again, but I'm just doing my own thing. Don't call me demonic. Listen, I need you to understand this. I know you're probably not a Satanist. I know you probably don't go out and worship the devil. I understand that. You're just sort of doing your own thing. But here's what you've got to understand. You don't have to consciously choose to worship Satan to have your life directed by him. All you have to do is not live God's way. Because not living God's way is living the way Satan wants you. And without even knowing it, your life is directed by the demonic. Satan has one rule. One thing he wants for your life. Don't believe God. That's what Satan wants. Satan says, don't believe what God's word says. He says, don't believe what this crazy pastor with wet pants says when he's properly interpreting God's word. Just do your own thing. I'm sure God won't mind. He'll probably overlook it at the judgment, Satan says. You need to be careful. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition come from a heart that has decided not to believe God, but instead to believe a demonic spirit. And if you decide to walk out of this room today and not Live God's way. There are two guaranteed results. Absolutely guaranteed. Verse 16 tells us what they are. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. You will invite disorder to your life. Disorder is confusion and it's noise and it's disturbances and it's instability. And when someone who is actually even a, a member of a church, a believer, as far as we can tell, in Jesus Christ, makes the decision, I'm going to live my life my own way. What James is saying is that that person will actually disrupt the community of faith by causing disputes, and I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen so many times. When God wants to do something great, someone who claims to be a Holy Spirit-filled Christian, but in reality is filled by a different spirit, will cause dissension in the body of Christ by every means possible. Gossip, in slander and outright lying. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. The second result is that every evil thing will come your way. Nothing good will ever come from a heart that is wicked. A heart that decides not to follow God Sure, you might have some good things happen to you from time to time. But the end result, it won't be good for you. Every evil thing you invite into your life, God does have a better alternative. And he tells us about it. It begins with God's wisdom. Look back at verse 13. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. What's wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to understand God's truth and apply it to your life. That's what wisdom is. 
to understand God's truth and apply it to your life? Do you have any desire within you to understand God's truth and apply it to your life? Any at all? Do you have any understanding, any, any belief in your heart about the spiritual things of God and you want God's truth in you? And if you lack wisdom, we know what Scripture says, we can simply ask God for it in faith and He'll give it to us. I want you to see the contrast between this bitter jealousy and the selfish ambition and all of the negativity that can come from that with what will result from a life dedicated to lived life God's way. Look at verse 17. What an incredible verse. The wisdom from above. And look at these words. I wonder where James got this list. Let's see if you can identify it. The wisdom from above is first pure. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Secondly, the wisdom from above is peaceable. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The wisdom from above is gentle. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. The wisdom from above is reasonable. What does it mean to be reasonable? It means being willing to yield without disputing. It means having a teachable spirit. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The wisdom from above is full of mercy. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The wisdom from above is full of good fruits. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The wisdom from above is unwavering. Jesus said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the wisdom from above is without hypocrisy. Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I've got a question for you. What kind of life do you want to live? A life of bitter, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? A life leading to disorder? and all kinds of evil? Or do you want a life that becomes pure, peaceable, and gentle, and reasonable, and full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy? Verse 18 says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The choice is yours. I will tell you without apology, that if you decide to live life, God, uh, excuse me, if you decide to live life your way, you're a fool. It's a foolish choice. Don't do it. I know that living life God's way can be hard at first because it means surrendering to God. It means yielding to God. And that doesn't come naturally to us. 
Because in our hearts, we are inclined to fight against God. Like little kids who don't want to be told what to do. That's us. We're inclined to fight against God and push back. And it's hard initially to say, okay, I give up. I want to do it your way, God. I will follow Jesus. I will do as he says. But I guarantee you, if you'll make that breakthrough in your own mind, all of those things that are listed in verse 17 will soon become a reality to you. It'll become real. It's your choice. And you can make that choice right where you're seated.